if you brought your Bible with you, we encourage you to do that. If you need a Bible, we can definitely get you one. And if you forget on some Sunday, you walk in the back and on that rack back there, there are Bibles for you to take so you can follow along in that way. But we are in the book of First Peter. And uh, we just kind of did an introduction to this series. We're going to spend the summer going through this book of First Peter. Did an introduction to the series last week and pointed out a couple of key things that we got right away from the beginning in the first two verses is that First Peter is a letter. And it's a letter that was written to elect exiles living in Asia Minor. So we kind of looked at how what they, were, they were referred to as exiles because that was their relationship. Part of their identity came from their relationship to the people that they lived around. And according to the people that they lived around, they were exiles. They were strangers, foreigners in a different land. And because of that, there was some persecution that they were enduring, some hard times that they were going through, some suffering, some trials. But we're also told right away at the beginning of 1 Peter that these people are elect. They are people who had been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. People that had been called to Him. And so that was their relationship to God. And again, these people are going through a trying time. And so you might expect now as the letter gets going, we went over the greeting last week, now the body of the letter starts, you might expect Peter right away to address their trials. They're people going through a hard time. You'd think maybe he'd get right at talking about their trials. And he's going to mention those in the passage today. But instead, Peter's going to start out with just this outburst of praise. That's how he starts out. After the greeting, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives a whole bunch of reasons why God's name should be blessed or praised. That's what we're going to look at today. When trials come, we often get discouraged. We would rather joyfully praise God, but it's easy to get discouraged when trials come. So how do you praise God in the midst of trials? And what Peter seems to be, what God seems to be saying to us in 1 Peter today is that we do that as we get reminders of the many privileges that we have in Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. It's helpful to have reminders of privileges. Maybe you've had a bad day as a parent. If you've been a parent, you've had a bad day, right? As a parent, it's hard sometimes. Maybe multiple bad days in a row. And in those cases, it might be helpful sometimes. Maybe something happens that reminds you, hey, there was a time when I wasn't a parent, and I wasn't sure that I'd ever get to be a parent. And so the fact that I'm a parent is a great gift from God. And you're reminded of that, and that helps you get through that trying season or that trying day. Like, hey, it's a gift to be a parent. So God, a reminder of God's past grace, past mercy toward you in allowing you the gift of parenthood gets you through a bad day as a parent. Or maybe maybe, maybe you're, you have a, a mom who was a really good mom to you, and now she's gone, right? Maybe that's where you're at. And you know that there were days in your childhood when you gave your mom bad days, right? Days where where your mom was very concerned, wondering how you would turn out. And you wish that maybe you could travel back in time with where you're at now and tell your mom, hey, mom, 
Thanks for all your hard work. Look at me now. I'm happy. I love Jesus. You did a good job, Mom. Be good. If, if, if Mom could be, I think, encouraged in that day if she knew how things were going to turn out far into the future. Right? That would help us get through a trying season. But Peter starts out this passage by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're able to, would you stand? And we'll read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is God's Word. God says this through Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we're very thankful for the gift of your word. Sometimes it's hard to understand. There's some parts of this passage that are hard to understand. I pray that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit to explain them clearly and accurately so we understand what it was you were actually saying. But also, God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, not just our minds this morning, but in our hearts in such a way that we recognize that what we have, the message that we have about Jesus that's been preached to us, that that is just one of the many privileges that we have in Christ. And that it's such a great privilege that the Old Testament prophets just longed to to get it. They didn't quite get it all, but we've received it all. That the angels longed to look into it. And we've experienced it. What a gift that we've been given. Help us not to be callous in our minds or in our hearts this morning. As we hear things, some of which we've heard before, but I pray that you would awaken us to the reality of all the privileges that we have in Christ. And for those that are here this morning that are not in Christ, who haven't trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would work as they hear all of these privileges that we have in Christ that they would long to have what it is that we've been given by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and take a seat. We're going to jump right into this. Hey, 
As I was reading that, were you a little bit confused? If you just read that passage, just so you know, when you read some parts of Scripture, like you're reading a story, you can read through and get the main point really pretty quickly, like you would read any other book. When you start getting into these letters in the New Testament, you got to slow down. Because 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, really, really, really rich. Really, really good. Full of all sorts of good stuff. But if you just read through it really quick, Kirsten and I did this about a week ago. You get done, you're like, whoa, what was that? And if you read this in the original language, you might have even been more confused. You know why? English teachers would have been all over Peter for this. Verses 3 through 12, everything I just read in Greek, one sentence. Okay? One sentence in Greek, verses 3 through 12, with a whole bunch of prepositional phrases and all sorts of other things. Like, whoa, we got to slow down a little bit and try and figure out what this is actually saying. And I think as we do that this morning, we're going to be amazed at everything that is being said in verses 3 through 12. So, let's dive right in. I tried to do a couple of little diagram things that might help us because there's so many words. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. First, actually, just 3 to 4. Right at the beginning, again, Peter starts out by saying, Blessed be or praised be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just excited. Peter starts, he's excited. Praise God. And then, here's why. Here's some of the first reasons. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, so a couple of main things happening in those two verses, and then a lot of things that help us understand how they happen. First, what's happening is this. Peter is talking, remember, to elect exiles. These are people who are Christians. They've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now Peter's writing this letter to them and reminding them that they've experienced a great privilege, and that is that they've been born again. Anybody who trusts in Jesus has been born again. They had a life in the past, and the old them has been put to death, and they now have a new life. It's like they've been born again. That's what's happened, and Peter reminds them of that. Like, whoa, that's pretty cool to actually think about that, that, that somebody could be born again. Just, the, just birth in itself is a miraculous thing, but to think that somebody who's already been born could be born again, what does that mean? How does that happen? How does that happen? And he tells us how it happens. It says, first of all, that it's according to God's great mercy. Did you see that in there? According to his mercy. That's how it has to start. Spiritually dead people. That's what we all are. We're all spiritually dead. And dead people can't do much. Right? They really can't do anything. And so it has to begin with God's mercy. According to his great mercy. That's where it starts. Because what we are, we're, we're, we're spiritually dead because of our sin. Right? So, so as sinners, we are law-breaking rebels who have offended the lawgiver. 
And if we are to be born again, that God, who is the one who gives the law, has to show us mercy. Because what we don't deserve is mercy. We deserve punishment. We don't deserve to be born again. We don't deserve to have a new life. Right? But he gives that to us. So we're born again according to his great mercy. But also, one other thing it says, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resur- through through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the means by which we are born again has something to do with God's great mercy and also has something to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if you remember, this was written in about the year 62 AD. So the people that are receiving this letter from Peter, it's possible that some of them actually saw the resurrected Jesus. But they at least knew people who had taught them this message who had seen the resurrected Jesus. Peter, who's writing the letter, has seen the resurrected Jesus. So when they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we're talking about a real event that happened 1900-some years ago. They're talking about something that hadn't happened that long ago. There were still eyewitnesses of this who were alive at this time. Kind of cool. He's saying, the reason that you've been born again has something to do with the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. That it's not possible for you who are spiritually dead to have a new life if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Right? So the hope of our new life is based in part on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the result. So that's the how, but then we also get the result. So because of God's great mercy, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we can be born again. And being born again means something. We get something out of that. There's a couple of things that are listed here. One is, notice in verse 3, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. A lot of people, when they talk about hope, they talk about hope, it's kind of like wishful thinking. Like they really hope that something turns out better, right? So they live with that kind of hope. That kind of hope is not a sure kind of hope. But we are given... Because we are born again, we're given what the Bible calls a living hope. A hope that is not vain and could run out and a vain that could be changed, or a a hope that could be changed by circumstances. We have a hope built on something much better than circumstances in the present, and so it is called a living hope. So we're born again to a living hope. We can live as people that have hope, but we also get something else. Did you see the other thing that's there? It says, verse 4, to an inheritance. And an inheritance that is, and he uses lots of words to describe it, imperishable. I lost it. Here we go. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have, as those who are born again have something kept in heaven for us that's not going to wear out. You had an appliance wear out, and then you go spend a ton of money on a new appliance, and you know what they tell you now? You can expect your appliance to last you about seven years. Like, really? We're going to pay that much for that? It's going to last us seven years? We have a lot of stuff that doesn't last very long, right? But we're told that all who are born again have something, an inheritance, that's kept in heaven for us that will never your version might say perish, spoil, or fade. Or it might say it's, it's something that is 
imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have something waiting for us in the future that will never fade or be destroyed. It's an inheritance that comes from Him. And remember, when Peter's writing this, he's writing to a group of people that are suffering because they trust in Jesus. And their suffering has economic consequences. The persecution that they're experiencing, for many of them, has economic consequences. Okay, And so they may have at one point had an inheritance coming to them. But they were maybe the one in their family who decided to do this radical thing in trusting in this Jesus. And by trusting in Jesus, it's quite likely that they would lose any hope of a future inheritance that they might get from their family. Right? Very possible for the readers of First Peter. Right? That one time they were going to get an inheritance, but now their family has disowned them, and now they won't get an inheritance. But Peter reminds them, hold on. You have an inheritance waiting in heaven for you, and it will never be taken away. That's good news for these people, right? You might have stuff that will be taken away. You might lose your bakery and even your home, but it don't matter because you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven, and that can never be taken away. That's good news. And some of you, as you hear that, so, so there's all the, like, here's, here's how we're born again. Here's the things that have to happen for us to be born again. We're going to hear more about that in a bit. Here's the things that come from being born again. And a good question to ask yourself that you might be asking yourself as you're sitting there is, how do I know if I'm born again? Like, is that me? Do I, do I have a living hope? Do I have the hope, the sure hope of a future inheritance? Has God shown His mercy to me? Am I born again? That's a good question. And if you ask me that question, you know what I might do? If you came into my office or you just called me up like, hey, want to get together, which you can do, I'd love that, and you ask me the question, how do I know if I'm born again? I might ask you a question back that says, how do you know you were born? Right? How do you know that you're born? And, and your answer, if I ask you that question, if I ask you the question, how do you know if you were born? You probably would not answer, well, because I have a birth certificate in my safety deposit box, and I can show it to you if you'd like. Right? That probably wouldn't be your answer to the question, how do I know that you were born? You would probably answer that question by saying, well, because I'm alive. Right? Like, how, how, do you, how do I know that you were born? You might say, well, I mean, I'm standing right here, right? I'm alive right now, so I must have been born, right? Now, if I ask you the question, how do you know that you've been born again, our tendency might be to kind of point back to a birth certificate, to say, well, I know I was born again because I went to this church where we went through these different steps, and at the end, I got a certificate, and my family came and visited me, and I got cards and stuff like that. Therefore, I know that I'm, I'm going to have a future inheritance in heaven because I've been born again because of that. Would you point back to that? Or maybe, well, at one point in my life, I, I prayed this prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. Therefore, I know that I've been born again. And those very well may have been the moments at which true conversion took place. But if you want to know, if you're asking that question, how do I know if I'm born again? 
a really good way to answer that would be, well, are you seeing signs of spiritual life? Like, are you spiritually alive? Just like if I were to ask you the question, how do I know if I've been born? Well, am I alive? How do you know if you've been spiritually born or born again? Well, are there signs of spiritual life that we can see in your life? I would hope that you could say, I know I've been born again because I'm alive. I have new desires. I have a living hope. I'm living to please the God who rescued me. That's what those who are truly born again will look like. They will have a kind of life that shows that I have new life. I was thinking about this. Like, if I were not born again, that's a good way to think about it. If I were not born again, you know what I would I would be all about me. Because that's what I was like before I was born again. I was just all about me. And so you know what I'd be as a 34-year-old now? If God had not rescued me, caused me to be born again, I would probably be sitting in a recliner telling my wife to make me a sandwich and telling my kids to be quiet because I was watching an important game on TV. Because I just, I want people to serve me because it's all about me. The world revolves around, that's what I would have been like, I think, had God, I don't know, but that's what I think, had God not caused me to be born again. One of the ways that I know that I've been born again, I could, I could point to a time where the conversion took place, but I could say, I know that I've been born again because I have different desires now. My desire is not to have other people recognize that I'm great and to have other people serve me. I want, I want people to know that God is great. I want people to live to please Him. I want to like I want to I want to lead my family well now. I want to read the Bible with my kids. I want to find ways to serve my wife, not find ways for her to serve me. Right? I I want to I want to fight sin and not be okay with sin. I want to I want to run from sin and trust in Jesus. That's some ways in which I can look at my life and say I can see that I've been born again because I have signs of spiritual life. And then we get to 1 Peter 1.5. 1 Peter 1, just so you know, we're, we're spending most of our time on these ones at the beginning. The one at the end will go quick. You're like, man, this is going to take forever. We're only in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the other thing that's happening here, besides being born again, is that we are being guarded. We are being guarded. And again, we have to ask the question, how? And the answer is, by God's power. Remember these people that Peter's writing to? They're exiles, strangers, temporary residents in a foreign land, experiencing persecution, going through trials and suffering. They're feeling weak and vulnerable. Peter says to them, listen, you're going to be guarded. You are being guarded, and it's not by your own power. Because you feel weak, and you know what? You are weak. But God's powerful. And you are being guarded by God's power through faith. You see that in verse 5? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Through faith. So much of the emphasis so far has been on God's work. Right? We've been elect according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. And he's talking about being born again according to God's mercy and, and all these other things. And here we hear 
that it all comes through faith. Okay? The way in which people receive God's mercy and are born again is through faith. Through faith. So we see that there in verse 5. Our salvation is a work of God, but God does the work of salvation through our faith. Right? So so this comes, this, this being born again and all these other things come to those who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. And we're being guarded, kept safe through faith until a certain point. And that point is still off in the future. Look at the end of verse 5. It says this. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. For a salvation ready to be revealed. What's salvation? Salvation is basically simply being rescued from God's judgment. Okay, when we're speaking of salvation in the eternal sense, we're saying salvation is being rescued from God's judgment. And so it says here that that's something, a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we talk about something that happened in the past. And that's a good way to talk about salvation, because the Bible talks about salvation that way sometimes. That our salvation, we can point to the moment that we were saved, and we usually use it in the past tense. But the Bible also talks about salvation being not just past, but present and future. So we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And here... The focus is on the future. It's saying here in 1 Peter chapter 1 that it is a salvation. We're being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, So there will be a time in which our salvation is completed, and that is a time in the end when Jesus returns. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. You just All you need is verses 3 to 5, and that's enough for you to say, like Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good stuff. But remember, the people that Peter's writing to, that might not be how they're feeling today. Because they are people who are going through trials and suffering, and life is hard. They're living as exiles, and it's hard for them And so maybe they're hearing Peter's, the beginning of his letter, where he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's listing off all these things that are reasons for them to praise. They're like, yeah, but right now life is hard, Peter. What about that? And Peter doesn't ignore that. He acknowledges that they're enduring trials. And so we see that in verses 6 and 7. But what we're going to see is we're going to see Peter put their trials in perspective. So let's look at this. You going through trying times right now? You need verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. That's like all the stuff that just happened. That's what you rejoice about. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's not ignoring their trials. He's saying, listen, I I get it. Now you are going through trials. Well, notice the other words that he uses as he talks about those trials. Did you notice those words? 
words like, though now, for a little while. He's reminding them subtly, or maybe not so subtly, that, hey, the trials that you're going through, they're for a little while. Though now, for a little while. When you're in the middle of trials, it doesn't feel like it's happening for a little while. Right? It feels like this is this ongoing, I don't know how this is going to end kind of stuff. But Peter's reminding them, though now, for a little while. And then he has another word, if necessary. Do you see that? Now, you're going through trials. You're going through a hard time. It's for a little while. It's temporary. And it is necessary. God is not bringing about trials in your life without purpose and without meaning. The stuff that you're going through is not pointless. It's necessary. The trials that you're being grieved about, you're going, you're being grieved by trials of various kinds, Peter says to them. But it's for a little while, and it's only if necessary. Good reminders that we have as he puts our trials in perspective. And there's a purpose to it. One of the purposes, it seems, it says in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Part of what's happening as you're going through trials, part of the purpose of the trials that you're going through is that your faith is being tested. That it might be found to be genuine. That all of the dross gets burned away and that what remains is a pure, true, genuine faith. That's part of the purpose of trials in our life. It's like surgery, right? Surgery, you know, like surgery, people that have done it. You know, like Pam just had surgery. She didn't just like sign up for surgery because it sounded like fun, right? You, you get surgery if necessary. And the pain that comes with surgery is for a little while. But you do it because of the good that is to come out of it. You remember what it was like when you were healthy and now you're not healthy. And so you say, let's do surgery so I can feel something maybe even better than I've felt in a long time. Right? That's what trials are like. They're like surgery. If necessary, for a little while, and they're done so that our faith tested to be and shown to be genuine results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, just some application of this one for us. Because when trials come to us as Christians, it's not natural for us to say, like Peter did, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That doesn't seem all that natural. We're experiencing real trial, real suffering. And, and, and a lot of times when trials come, have you noticed this? When trials come in life, it's not just one. It's like one and then another one and another one. And they're getting all piled up on top of each other. And you're just overwhelmed. You're like, look at all this stuff that's happening in life right now. I'm really overwhelmed. 
how am I supposed to, in the middle of that, say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't get to preach too many times before we moved here. But the few times that I would preach, two or three times a year that I'd preach to the whole church, I got to pick whatever passages I want, and I picked this passage one time. And so I went back, as I was getting ready for this sermon, I went back and I looked to see what I preached. In January of 2010, I preached a sermon on this passage. And there were some things that we were going through at the time that I totally forgot about now. Because remember, if necessary, for a little time, right, for a while. But I want to just read to you. Here's what we were dealing with in January of 2010. I said then, Kirsten and I were just talking earlier this week about how it feels like we've just been getting beat up over the last couple of months. While we got to experience the birth of our son Isaiah at the end of November, this is in January, so he's about two months old at this time, we've struggled with a few health issues, gone through two stays in the hospital with Isaiah. We've had car troubles, plumbing troubles, etc. I have to be honest with you that when the doctor told us that we'd have to take him to the hospital, and when they told us each day that he'd have to stay one more night, and when we were told how much our car repairs would cost, and when the plumber came to our house three times, my first thought was not, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No. I was concerned about the health of my little boy. I was wondering how I was going to get this sermon done. I was thinking about hospital bills. I was upset that we'd have to give our son so much medication that we've now had to make a spreadsheet to keep track of it all. Even though this sermon was in the back of my mind, I still wasn't thinking, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you can relate because I'm preaching this sermon to you right now. You're like, yeah, but what about this and this and this? And I'm just thinking about all these trials that are piling up on top of each other. I'm not thinking. I didn't come in here thinking, I can't wait to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Life is hard. Trials have come. And it's hard. The question you're asking is, so how do we move from doubt and despair and weariness to rejoicing? I think you've got to look at what Peter says here. I think we need to remember that our trials are temporary. Most of that, like if you ask me, what car repairs did you need to get done? What plumbing issues did you have? How much were the costs? We don't have a spreadsheet anymore. I don't know what the car repairs were. I, I don't know most of that stuff. we got a five-year-old son who's healthy. That's what we got now. I can't remember all of those trials because they were temporary. It felt overwhelming at the time. But they were temporary, and they had a purpose. I couldn't maybe even nail down for you exactly how God used all of that, but I know that part of the faith that I have now in Jesus comes from going through hard seasons of life like that one. And I think we also need to not just remember that our trials have a purpose and our trials are temporary, but we need to remember that our trials come, for those of us who are Christians, they come all mixed up in the middle of all that other good news that we saw right before this. 
Because Peter's not just saying you've got trials. He's saying, remember who you are. You are born again according to God's great mercy. You are born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You are born again and you have a living hope. You are born again and you have a future inheritance that can never be taken from you. And you right now in the midst of your trial are being guarded by God's power for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We need to hear all of this. And that's the only way that we can endure trials in such a way that we come out and even in the midst of it can say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then just a couple, I'm just going to go over the last couple verses very quickly. What's happening in the midst of the trials? You ever get frustrated that you can't see Jesus face to face? Here's what it says in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is coming. And one day, we're going to see him face to face. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be pain nor crying anymore. The old will have gone, and behold, the new will have come. And we long for that day. But right now, we don't see him. People in Peter's day, they didn't see him. Peter says, even though you don't see him, you love him, you believe in him, and in the midst of everything that's going on, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory as you await that coming day. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's good news. And in these last two, three verses, go over them very quick. But it says here in these last three verses, we have been given the last privilege that's listed here. There's many more. The last one listed here is that we have a clear revelation of the good news of salvation. Right? It talks about in verses 10 to 12, the Old Testament prophets. They, they were writing things about the, the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. But the Old Testament prophets, all they had was just a few shadows. They said, well, what one do we know? The one coming is going to rescue all of the world. The one who's going to rescue us from All they had were shadows. And they wrote, as servants of us, they were writing these things for our good so that we would know that when Jesus came, Jesus was the Messiah, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Malachi, they didn't get to see Jesus in the flesh. They died long before he came, but they were, they were longing to know. But all they knew were shadows, and they wrote about those shadows, and that has served us well. And Peter is reminded, and angels, it talks about angels too. Did you see that at the end of verse 12? Things into which the angels long to look. They can only see God's work from afar, but they don't get to experience it quite like we do. 
we have more than the Old Testament prophets had because they got glimpses and they got shadows, but we have the full and complete revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter refers to it in this way. He calls it the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That's what we have. We have been given such a gift. And I think we we forget how great of a gift this is. What we have would make Old Testament prophets and angels jealous. That we have the gift of the clear revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for our salvation. What a gift that is. I brought I brought some M&Ms. I, I can use M&Ms for like every illustration. I use them on Wednesday for the Iwana thing. But it's kind of, I was thinking about this because they're in my office all the time. That's why I think about them a lot. I don't eat them. I just think about them. Um, but. But it says that, that, that the Old Testament prophets, that, that they, 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 they long to know some of these things that they wrote about. They wrote about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's kind of like they had a lot of the ingredients. Some of them got the cocoa, bean. Some of them got the sugar. Some of them got the, but like they didn't have it all put together. The thing that we have that they didn't have is we've got, we've got M&M's in a bag, all put together, like we can see the whole picture. They just had a bunch of ingredients, and they faithfully shared what it was that they knew. But we have all of it. We who live on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have all of it. And we can experience it. The angels can look at it. They long to look at it, but they can't experience salvation as we have. This is a gift, and we ought to share it, right? We ought to take this gift and just, I mean, who wants some? You want some? Like, Seth, you want some M&Ms? Seth wants some M&Ms, right? Mark would have some M&Ms. Anybody else? Yeah, the, yeah, you want M&Ms? You can have some M&Ms. Like, this is a great gift. Like, we ought to share it. We've been given. There you go. Eat them up. You want to share with your siblings? You can get some, maybe. See if you would. Can, can you share it? You can be like passing down to Caleb, right? You can have M&M's afterward. Come and find me and get M&M's. But, but the point is this. The point is that we who have the clear revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like we've been handed a really big good gift. It's big. We have, we have so many privileges, and it's a, it's a gift that ought to be shared. We don't just have to settle for a few ingredients. We have to figure out how to put it together. It's been put together. It's been made clear to us by those who have announced the good news. They've preached the good news to us. They've been sent by the Holy Spirit. I don't know who it was who preached to you the good news in such a way that you understood it. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was somebody in your college dorm room. But somebody came to you and preached to you the good news of Jesus, and you've been a part of a church where you get to over and over again hear it. We have a good gift in having received the clear revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ for our salvation. And that's just one of many gifts. And yes, we have trials. We do. But if we would remember that our trials are temporary and they have a purpose, that might help us to remember, again, the privileges that we've been given. And while the, te- the trials that we are enduring are temporary, the privileges that we've been given 
are eternal. They won't run out. That's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for trusting us with so much. So that all we do is we just trust. Though we don't see Jesus, we love Him. Though we don't see Him, we believe in Him. And through that faith, we're being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That you, by your mercy, have caused us to be born again. That you've given us a living hope. That we live with a future inheritance. All these things surround the trials that we're enduring right now. And I pray that you would not not allow us to despair by keeping our eyes fixed only on the trials that we're enduring. But would you remind us over and over again of the many privileges we have in Christ. And God, I pray that those who are here this morning, that are hearing this, this stuff about being born again and being guarded and having a future inheritance, those that are here that aren't confident that they have that, God, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts, that they would talk to somebody, whether it be this evening, whether it be calling me, whether it be checking with me even before the end of the service, setting up a time to get together. God, I pray that you would be at work drawing people to yourself, that more and more might experience the great gift of salvation, of being born again. God, we're thankful for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end the service by having communion together and then singing a closing song.